0: Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Lake of the Ozarks message podcast. Our prayer and desire as you listen to today's message is that it would be an encouragement and challenge in your walk in relationship with Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at ccloto.org or download our app in your app store today. Now, let's jump into today's message together. Amen. Good morning. So glad that you guys are here. And this is the last sunday of first john so if you have your bibles go ahead and start turning to first john next week pastor sean will preach one whole book on a sunday so be ready for leviticus he's gonna be preaching no we'll go to second john and then right after that third john jude uh, and then we'll just see what the lord has for us after that and so if you have your bibles we are in the very last part of what john is writing starting in verse 13. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. If anyone sees a brother committing a sin, Not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. And we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. I titled the message, What Do We Know? you know it's like what do we know what do we really know and that's honestly one of the things that John was writing for Is there are certain things that he does want us to know that we don't have to walk with a blind faith that it's a real faith that we can have these real spiritual truths that are not just something that we mentally hold on to but is something that drives every aspect of our life we're not just filling in the bubble on the little sheets You remember those tests back in school when you had to do that i'd get so bored i'd just start playing tic-tac-toe right wouldn't even care i'd just make up patterns and a b c d just fill in the bubble that's not what our faith is where we just have this mentalist sense of yes this is right this is wrong and that's no but it's it's knowing these things that now that we put into our lives and it changes the way that we live. And so every time John throughout even the whole book, but even here when he's saying we know these things is because it should impact our everyday normal life. So when people look at us and we live differently than the world around us, because our value system and our beliefs are in Christ, they'll say, well, why do you live that way? Because of this is what I know and what I know causes me to live differently. You know, orthodoxy is that right thinking, having those right beliefs, good doctrine, that matters. But it should always flow to what's called orthopraxy, that we would practice this and have right living. That's why it matters what we believe because that value system, those doctrines are gonna pour into and be fleshed out in our normal everyday lives. And so the first thing that john wants to talk about he said i write these things to you who believe there's that key word not just an intellectual you know i believe but a faith trust confidence that you are putting in the name of the son of god that you may know that you have eternal life john wants us to know that we have eternal life because of our belief our trust our faith our confidence in Jesus. So when you hear that, you may know it's like a, the Greek is saying mentally seeing. And we use that kind of phrasing of in our normal day kind of language. When somebody's explaining something to us, we'll say, oh, I see what you're saying there. You don't literally see the words coming out of their mouth. You're talking about a mental understanding. So John, like as he's writing all of this and he gets to this, he's like, do you see what I'm telling you? Are you picking up what i'm throwing down are you understanding what i'm talking about here and he goes what i want you to know is that because of your belief in jesus you have eternal life and this verse is used appropriately to help defend uh, a doctrinal stance that's called eternal security there's a question and, and and it divides the camp of christianity can we lose our salvation or not and, and we can sum it up, and I've heard it summed up. Uh, I think the most popular way is a once saved, always saved. Now hear me out, okay? Hear the whole thing before you start throwing stuff at me. That, f- that phrasing is not my favorite. And, and a lot of that plays into the uh, church tradition that I grew up in, okay? So hear me out. In the same sense, when I used to be told, God won't give you anything that you can't handle, that really wasn't in Scripture, and so when i would keep hearing this preach to me and encourage to me to try to get through hard times and i would go to the word and try to find that it wasn't there and the same thing with this once saved always saved right and and i find air on both sides of it and this was again the orthopraxy of how this was practiced in everyday life so on one side of the spectrum of this mentality of a once saved always saved was when a christian would fall into sin we would be attacked and say oh well if you were really saved you wouldn't have acted that way if you were really saved your salvation would have kept you from that sin and it's like well then am i even saved because i mean i you know we all fall short of the glory of god that's a current tense of it. Like we we still have a struggle with sin and that mentality made it seem like, then am I really saved? Because if I was saved, I wouldn't sin, which would be an error in teaching of the word of God. And then on the other side of that spectrum of always hearing, again, this is the, the tradition of church that I grew up in, hearing once saved, always saved. Then on the other side, the air of our salvation, because we said a cute little prayer At the end of a service which is again not in scripture gave us a license that we could sin and do whatever that we wanted and because we made that little declaration of faith with a prayer and then the rest of my life doesn't matter and anytime i sin i can just whip out my sin card and or my grace card and and show the devil oh i've been saved and so so on both sides of it either you know i was in this trench of just doubting my salvation am I even saved and then on the other side oh can I just live however I want and my life doesn't matter well both are in air and one of the things that we were in scripture and we are teaching the word of God we can't allow the word of God to say like we have to let it speak you don't want it to say too much And you don't want to say too little. You can't force it one way or the other. You just have to let the word of God speak. And so when John is talking, he says, to those who believe in the name of the son of God, we know in the context at the very beginning of chapter five, he's saying that everyone who believes has been born of God. And so again, our belief is not just a mental ascent. It's talking about a spiritual rebirth. And we, and we know that from even going back to John 3, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus to be, we need to be born again. And so it's not just a mental understanding, but we have this new birth, this new spiritual birth. And so um, for me, in thinking through that, like, let's, let's use the analogy of just biological birth. Like I have four kids, one of them is in this service right now right? If you tested her DNA compared to my DNA, you would understand the relationship. Oh, well, that's a child and a father, right? We understand that. And so what John is saying is because of our faith, our trust, our confidence in Jesus, we've been born again. Now, what we have to ask is what's more binding, biological birth or spiritual birth, right? So my daughter's right up here. Could my daughter do anything to cause herself to not be my child? No. Not at all. There's nothing that she can do to change that biological makeup to say, "Oh, hey, I am from you." You know, the whole you know 46 uh, chromosomes from two parents. Like, there's nothing that she can do to erase that identity biologically even just testing her DNA they'll be able to tell gender they'll be able to tell age they, all of that is biological that is science and our world doesn't like that stuff anymore for some reason but there's nothing that she can do to erase that relationship and it's even kind of neat to see how some people are finding out that they have family that they didn't know about through all the ancestry.com like oh we are connected they we can tell the relationship just by testing our DNA and so john is talking to us that have been reborn spiritually and so what's more binding the biological or the spiritual well the spiritual is because it is birthed out of the character the essence of god our spiritual birth has everything to do with him And so instead of going just to some verses that sometimes uh, some people will take and, and twist a little bit or have these nice little Christianese statements like a once saved, always saved, what does the word say? It says that we who believe in Jesus, we've been born of God. And if we're born of God, we can't be unborn spiritually. Just like Jesus talking to Nicodemus, hey, you need to be born again. And he's like, he's going back to physical birth. And he's like, no, no, you need to be born water and the spirit. And so when we are spiritually reborn, we can't undo our spirit. Like my daughter cannot undo her birth. That makes no logical, physical sense. And it's the same for us spiritually. Because we have to understand the character of God, his nature, understand what Jesus has accomplished, and that will logically lead us that our salvation is absolutely secure in Christ, that there's nothing that I can undo that because to undo it, God would have to undo his character and his nature. So when he says that the propitiation of our sins, the the satisfaction, uh, Jesus satisfying the wrath of God is by Jesus alone, so to undo that would say that God is not satisfied with the blood of Jesus anymore. To say that we could lose our salvation would be that God would lied about the testimony concerning his son, which we just studied last week. And so to say these things, we're we're attacking the character and the nature of God. And I don't think God is unsatisfied with the blood of Jesus. I don't think God is lying about the testimony that he has for us. And so John is writing to us as believers Your salvation is absolutely secure in Jesus, okay? There's nothing my daughter can do to erase the relationship that we have. We are father, daughter, that is the relationship. What John is writing about, the whole of it, is fellowship. So even though there is a relationship of father and daughter here, my daughter could absolutely do stuff that would alienate herself from me, that would separate us in fellowship. Like, think of the prodigal son. He was always the son. When he ran off into crazy living, that never changed his relationship status, even though he wanted to look at the father and say, oh, you're pretty much dead to me. Just give me, you know, my inheritance and walk away. There was nothing that he did that erased his sonship. Now, did they have good fellowship during that? Probably not. You know, if my son walked up to me and said, you're pretty much dead to me, give me my money. I'd be like, well, I'm dead to you and I have no money, right? (laughs) (laughs) Joke's on you, buddy. You know what I mean? Like go off and you're going to hit that pig uh, pen really quick knowing how much inheritance you're getting from me, right? And so what John is writing about is fellowship. So is our salvation secure? Absolutely. Does that give us a license just to send it up and do how? No, not at all. And then because our salvation is secure, what happens when we fall into sin? Like how do we answer that side of the spectrum? Grace, there is absolute grace. My salvation is secure. So when I fall into sin, do I need to doubt my salvation? No, that is secure because it is secure in the character and the essence of Christ and of God. But does God care about how I live my life? Absolutely. Is there grace when I fall? Absolutely. And so john is wanting us to understand this is why he keeps talking if you go back to even all of chapter 4 he keeps talking about abide in him understand that your salvation is secure but i want to i want close fellowship i want you guys to have close fellowship with god and that even goes clear to verse in the first chapter at the very start of it in verse 3. he's saying so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the father and with his son jesus Christ. Because that is one of the reasons I'm writing to you is so that you will know that your life matters and I want you to have close fellowship with Jesus. Keep short accounts with God. Don't allow your sin to stack up. Your life should be marked by continual repentance. Why? Because we're in a continual fight against sin. Sometimes we win and that's the victory that we have that we talked about in the beginning of chapter five, our faith. But what happens when we fall to sin? Does that change our relationship status? Absolutely not. Will it change our fellowship with God? Yeah, it can. And that is not God's heart for us. That he saved us, but he wants close fellowship with us. He doesn't want to say, "Oh, yeah, that's my daughter." Well, do you have a good relationship with her? No, not really. We never talk. She doesn't. You know. No, a good father wants a close fellowship with their kids. And do we not have a good father given in Scripture? And so moving on. And so. This is, I think, for John, to having that security in his salvation, he, he moves that same confidence into that relationship, that fellowship, that knowing that, that I can ask anything in prayer. That my daughter can come to me at any time and make requests of me, especially if she knows my heart. Oh, I know Dad would love to do this, I should ask him about that. You know, if my daughter walks up and says, Dad, we should have Cajun food tonight. She knows, I think you see, right? There's some righteous ones in here, amen. She knows my heart and she's gonna ask according to my will. She knows I love really good food and a lot of it. So she's gonna ask those things and, and they kind of know it too. They're starting to play my own heart against me be like, dad, I know you really like this, do you? And then sometimes I have to be like really a good dad instead of like, yeah, let's do it. My wife says all the time, I really have five kids, four that I birthed and one that I married, right? Okay, maybe I'm the only one, here we go. And so we need to learn what John is saying is we need to learn the will of God. That's where our confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, we need to learn the will of God and then pray for it to be done. Again, it's like one of my daughters coming up to me and saying, Daddy, you promised this. And that happens sometimes. Like one of my daughters yesterday, hey, do you wanna throw the baseball and I, I can hit it? I was comfortable on my recliner, watching hockey. And then this ankle biter comes in. I'm I'm, I'm like, I'm like 10 minutes from a good nap on a Saturday. You know what I mean? Like this is the glorious time of a man's life. And I said, yeah, let me finish this and I'll be out there. And then in five minutes, are you done yet? And so what she's saying is like, you promise this, make it happen. And that's the same thing, that when we pray, we understand the will of God, we understand the promises of God, and we're just asking him, be who you said that you're going to be. That when our prayer is based on the will of God, we can have that confidence instead of like, I don't really know what the will of God is, but we're just going to ask whatever that we want, and hopefully God will give us. No, no, no. We don't pray according to our will. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven that's what our prayer should be and some of us might be kind of thinking well i don't know what god's will is well i'm glad you're asking the question there's going to be a few verses i'm going to throw at you and these are just uh i think i wrote down four these are just four to give us an understanding that we absolutely can know what the will of god is first timothy 2 3-4 to four, talks about god's will he desires all people to be saved So what's something that we could have confidence towards God and asking according to his will, the salvation of all people. So if you have a prodigal in your life right now, a prodigal son, a prodigal parent, uncle, friend, can I ask the Lord for their salvation? Yes, why? Because that's according to his will. He desires all people to be saved. First Thessalonians four verses three to four talk about God's will is your sanctification. So yes you are saved but should you start growing in christ's likeness is that the will of god yes it is so what should you pray about lord cause me grow in me to be more like christ that is something we can have confidence in approaching god about because that is his will staying in first thessalonians 5 18. talks about what's another will of god to give thanks in all circumstances Can you thank the Lord and have thanksgiving towards him in any situation of your life? Yes. Well, you don't understand, Nick. I just got the really bad call from the doctor this week. Give thanks unto the Lord. But you don't know, there's that relationship that is just on rocks and my son or my daughter, my kid hasn't talked to me in years. How do I give thanks in that? Give thanks in all situations. Because of who God is and what he has secured for us, we can confidently always approach him with thanksgiving. Why? Because that's his will for our lives. 1 Peter 2, 15 to 17, I'm paraphrasing. But by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. I definitely want to do that. Don't you love to make foolish people seem more ignorant? That's just the word of God right there. But what is it by? Doing good. What's the will of God for our life? To do good. And by doing that, a byproduct is foolish people are gonna be shown by their ignorance in that. We're gonna show them their own ignorance, which hopefully would lead to 2 Peter 3, 9. Another will of God is that all should reach repentance. So if you have that family member that is a prodigal, but maybe somebody's really in some sin, maybe it's even a brother in the Lord or a sister in the Lord and they're just, you, you see their life, they're really in some sin, what should I pray about? That they would repent, that they would turn from that sin, that they would come to a place of brokenness and understanding that they're trying to live life for their own desires and flesh and wants and coveting or whatever it would be, like that's God's will for us. And these are things that we can have confidence towards him. See, a lot of times when we say that, oh, I just don't know what the will of God is for my life. See, when we ask that question, usually we're talking about the things that don't pertain to God's will or that bring us life. I think it's in first or second Peter, it talks about that God has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. That we can have a confidence in understanding the will of God. A lot of times, I love this quote by Elizabeth Elliot, if you know who she is. She said a a whole lot of what we call struggling is simply delayed obedience. Well, I really just don't know what the will of God is for my life. You're lying to yourself. The word of God is clear. Now, are you supposed to take that job or not? Are you supposed to marry that boy or not? Are you supposed to move? Those are the things that the Lord, probably not as important to him as it is to you. What's important to the Lord? He desires salvation in all people. He desires our sanctification. He, he desires gratitude and thanksgiving. He desires us doing good in our ordinary, everyday lives. He desires that people would come to repentance. That's the will of God for our lives. And so a lot of times we say, I'm just struggling with the will of God. No, no, like struggling with you know, having this delayed obedience. You know what that's called? Disobedience. Or partial obedience. There's a word for that as well. You know what that's called? Disobedience. That's what our whole faith in Jesus is about, to simply trust and obey, not delay obey, not partially obey, not, hey, Lord, I'll come 50-50, like I'll come 90, you got to come 10, right? We can't hitch the Lord, if you know the movie, right? We can't do that to the Lord and say, no, no, no. He wants just pure, clean trust and obedience from us there's nothing to struggle about in that so if we're asking questions of oh I don't know what God's will is for my life search the scriptures learn the will of God understand his heart, and it might change the things that you pray about Matthew six thirty three. understand the words of Jesus seek the kingdom of God seek his righteousness those are the things that we are to focus on then all the other things, yeah, they'll be added to He knows what we need. He knows the birds need food. He knows, the, he knows all of that. He knows your everyday needs. Pray for the things that only the Lord can provide. Pray for the things that are within his will. That's where we're going to see revival happen in the church. Not just sitting down over the food that is directly in front of us and giving thanks. Oh, thank you, Lord, for providing this. Lord's probably like, "Now Walmart provided that. Deerberg's provided that. I didn't provide that. I mean, when's the last time you prayed and thanked the Lord for a meal and your plate was empty? When's the last time you prayed for something like, like, Lord, if you don't come through on this, there's, there's no other way. And usually we go to the prayer of desperation, meaning that we've done everything else that we can do. All right, now, Lord, I, I've done everything I can do. Now it's your job. At times, I think the Lord won't answer that. Why? because you should have came to me first. Have we ever said that as fathers and parents to our kids? Should have came to me first. Why well, I was trying to do this and that you should have came to me first. I would have been able to fix the problem. You should have just came to me first. And so with the same thing, we need to run to the Lord, have that confidence in him, because that's where he's saying we know that he hears us and we know that when he does hear us, we've made those requests Yes, there is times as a father, I've looked at my kids and be like, I'm not even listening to you right now. You, you, you sound crazy right now. I don't even wanna to listen to you. Like, stop talking. Cause you're gonna go down a line of thinking and talking and uh, whatever you're gonna say about me. I'm not, yeah, I don't, I don't even wanna to listen to it right now. But we can have confidence in approaching the Lord and what we know. Like think of like taking a test. For many years of my life, there was no confidence on test day. Right? You'd walk in and be like, ah, I know I haven't studied. I know I don't know the material. I don't know what's gonna be on the test. And then if you passed, because you maybe got lucky and filled in enough little bubbles that for some reason you passed, because there's only four right, you know, four possible answers and you know, 25%, I might get it right. And so I passed. Wasn't that a great feeling when you know you shouldn't have, and you've seen at least a passing grade on that? that is not the life that we are supposed to live in Christ. He wants us to have confidence. And so when I went back to school and I went to Bible college, we had two kids and one on the way. I was working full time. And one of my things to honor my wife, knowing how much she sacrificed for me to go to school. Yeah, I, I can't bring home a B minus. <laughs> Mama not going to be happy about that, right? Like, really? Like, you're... I'm, I'm, I'm slaving away trying to take care of the family and you're going to, you're going to bring home barely passing grades. So a way to honor my wife is no, I want to bring home straight A's to honor her because of the sacrifices that she has. And so I would study, study hard. So I'd walk into the test with confidence. The professor would say, this is going to be on the test. So I would write that down. If he's going to tell me what's on the test, I'm going to, I'm going to make use of that. So we'd walk into test day. I have a lot of confidence. I'd have confidence because i knew what was going to be on the test and i knew what the answers were going to be so when we came back the next day with the grades i wasn't shocked by that why because there was a confidence of knowing the professor in his heart and the same thing that the lord wants from us is to have this confidence in his will and knowing his heart and so where does our confidence come from context go right back up to verse four Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome. We are conquerors, the world, our faith. That's where our confidence comes from. It's not the level of our faith, but who our faith is in, and that is Jesus. And as he's talking about prayer, these are some of the most unique verses that if if I had to ask if somebody asked me what are some of the most verses that you get questions about this would be in the top 10 right david letterman's top 10 right here so nick pierce getting asked about crazy verses in the bible this is it right here verses 16 to 17. if anyone sees a brother committing a sin not leading to death pray for him but if you see that there is a sin that leads to death don't pray for him what is going on here so lead to death, we're not talking, it's physical, not spiritual, right? So we're not saying that there's uh, somebody that can lose, our salvation is secure. We can't, we're not talking about that. So lead to death, we're talking about physical. Yes, that sin is not just a spiritual thing that can happen. That you can find yourself in sin that will absolutely take your life. Physical sin. One of my favorites, uh, one, a good friend of mine, one of my favorite quotes of his Any Christian can commit any sin at any time. Any Christian can commit any sin at any time. And so don't look at some of those big sins that we have marked in the church and be like, oh, that'll never happen to me. Usually the first time we say that, just give it time and that will be a part of your testimony, sadly. We always have to be on guard. We can never have the pride to think, oh, I would never do that. Yeah, pride goes before the fall is what the word says so we need to be on guard and so sin not leading to death we're going to pray for that right that makes sense okay we see a brother in sin we're going to pray for that but what is he meaning by sin that's leading to death sin that is leading to death this isn't a hundred percent this is within the jurisdiction of God though right so he is sovereign over everything if they're, and we're talking in the family of God, right? Brothers and sisters in the Lord. We're not talking about those outside of the family. This is a family meeting that we're having. That there is the possibility, there is the openness. This is within God's jurisdiction. That if one of his kids is sinning so much or sinning in a manner, that it is better for the Lord to take him home, that is within his jurisdiction to do. And I pray that the Lord would do that for me. That if for some reason my deceitful evil heart wanders from the grace and the love of God and goes after some heinous sin, Lord, kill me before you would allow that to happen in my life. Now I'm not talking like if I'm speeding two miles over and all of a sudden heart attack and I'm gone. And I'm not saying every person that's ever died is a believer. Oh, that was sin leading to death right there. Man, he shouldn't have been sinning. No, that's not it. But Paul does give us a little bit of a context uh, of one instance of this. And you know what it was in regards to? Communion. That there were those that were taking communion in an unworthy manner. They were gluttonous about it they'd come up and just keep eating and filling themselves. Can you imagine waiting in line with our little fish plates up here and there's some dude right in front of you just slamming every communion cup, eating all the bread, and he's just being a glutton about it? Paul would say, yeah, there's those that are sick and even leading to the point of death because of their sin in that. So it is within the jurisdiction of God And so, you know, how do we look at someone and say, okay, are you in sin that's leading to death? Are you not in sin that's leading to death? That's a very difficult question. And so if I'm going to err on the side, I'm going to pray for someone that is in sin. But if the Lord brings them home and removes them out of that situation, that's within the Lord's jurisdiction for it. You know, even in the parenting context, there's times that I have teenagers and they are mouthy just like me it's like sometimes they'll they'll be sarcastic back to me and i have to be a parent but i really want to laugh because it's like that was a good burn (laughs) but i can't tell them that (laughs) like i write it down and think oh i'm going to use that one day that was really good right so my kids can be sarcastic at times and and we will get into discussions and arguments and and there's a lot of emotions going on and and my kids will tell you they hate when this happens there will be times I cut them off because I know where they're going with their trail of thinking, right? I know where they're going to end up and they're going to say something that I'm going to have to discipline, right? I have to be a good father. I can't just let my kids just say whatever they want and disrespect and just say, oh, okay, it's okay. No, if you say that, I'm going to have to discipline you for it. And so there's times I'll cut them off and say, hey, I'm just going to stop you right now. Because if you keep going, you're gonna force me to have to discipline you. That is a very small, finite context. Out of love for my kids, I'm gonna keep them from continuing any kind of disrespect that could be happening. And so the Lord, a good Father, keep me, keep my heart, keep my life from just wandering off into sin. And we see that, that happens. And it does mess with some of our theology. Some people struggle with that. Like uh, there was a pastor in my hometown that led a, a very vibrant growing church, completely walked away from the Lord. And some people are asking, well, was he ever saved? Did he lose his salvation? All I know is that's not the heart of the Father. That's not what God would have for us that he wants us to have close fellowship with him. The scripture speaks far more about pursuing Christ with our life, not how far into sin can we get and, and you know, how, how much distance of fellowship can we have before it affects relationship. That's not what Scripture talks about. But I pray that, Lord, if that would happen to me, stop me before that would go too far. Take me out before I would allow that kind of sin to happen in my life. That's a bold statement. That's that's something you're probably gonna have to put in your pipe and smoke on it for a little bit and really process and chew on that, whatever analogy that you want. You know, those are some really hard verses. But it is within God's jurisdiction because he is the author of life. You know, I think of Job's words. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord and my life is not my own i've been bought with a price and whatever the lord wants to do with my life so if i have two days left that's the lord that is not my own and a lot of us think that the bible promises that we're all going to live to long life no my life i'm here for a purpose and when my purpose is done go home to be with the lord we act like physical death is no it's an upgrade as believers we should not fear that And so when the Lord is done using me and the purpose of my life is complete, I don't get retirement and just to live here 20, 30 more years. No, when the Lord is done with me, I go home to be with the Lord. He is the author and the giver of life. And so moving on, what do we know? Verse 18, 19, 20, he's going to use that phrasing three or four times. So look at verse 18. We know that everyone who's been born of God, believing in Jesus, does not keep on sinning, but he would. He who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. You know, this is something that John kind of talked about in uh, chapter 3, verse 6. That no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Again, we abide in God. The, The relationship is there, that we have been born of God, but he wants close fellowship. Or we're not just running after our own heart and desire and our lust and whatever it would be that he wants us to desire him now is there going to be there that's the difference that he's talking about the sin of a believer you know think when jesus washed the feet of the disciples peter i want you to wash all of me peter you're clean i just need to clean you up a little bit just need to wash your feet that's a better analogy for us as believers that there's times that we just need the grace of god to clean up our feet a little bit but we're not gonna keep on sinning, but we're gonna keep our eyes focused. We're not gonna have this habitual practice of all this, this license to sin and, and the grace of God will forgive me. Paul would say, heck no, that is not how we are to live. And then he goes on to verse 19. We know, what do we know? That we are from God, we're born of God and the world lies in the power of the evil one. So where does, where do, what power do we lie in? The power of the Holy Spirit. It's in the power of God. Acts 1.8 is clear that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. In John, Jesus talks about how the Holy Spirit is with you, and then the Holy Spirit will be in you. But then in Acts, he says the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And there's, he's going to come upon us for different ministry moments and, and opportunities to serve him. And then we need a fresh filling that we have the Holy Spirit in our salvation 100%, but he also wants to move and work in us. And so we are from God, we're born of God, we have the Holy Spirit, but he has come upon us, that he is that power, that, that's where we get the word dynamite from, that he is that dynamite of our lives. That's where the power for us to serve Christ with our lives comes from, not our own doing, but it comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. And then verse 20, what else do we know? That the Son of God, Jesus, he has come he has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true that i when i was dead in my sins my heart my mind was veiled and black but the lord came and he brought light and life and he gave me understanding so that i can know that i that we are in him we are in jesus who is true who is the son and his name is Jesus, that he is the true God, and then in him we have eternal life. And so if you will, turn to John chapter 17. John 17, three, some of my favorite verses, because we talk about, again, I think there's a slightly wrong misconception of what eternal life is. Oh, when we die, then our eternal life starts. Hear the words of Jesus, 17, three, John and this is eternal life i love that i love when people are just straightforward just tell me how it is and jesus says all right you want to know what eternal life is this is eternal life that they know you the only true god and jesus christ whom you have sent that our eternal life starts now in knowing jesus and so what we're saying is we believe in the testimony of god when he said back in 1 John 5, the testimony talking about Jesus is salvation. He is the eternal life. We're believing the testimony of God and in that being born of God, having the spiritual rebirth, that we are saved, saved from our sin, saved from the wrath of God. We're saved to a fellowship and a relationship with Jesus. This is our eternal life. So right now, Us as believers, we're in our eternal life now because we know Jesus. So when we physically die, that's just an upgrade. Death is just separation. That's the biblical definition for the word death. And so when our bodies die, we're just gonna have this physical separation of body and soul and spirit that we're gonna separate. But God in his grace loves us so much, he's gonna give us the body back. And so Jesus, the very thing that we're celebrating with Holy Week, being the first fruits, the resurrection, that he was in a physical glorified body, that we look to him and knowing we're gonna have the same. And that's why our bodies matter. That's why our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he's gonna glorify that. And so you're probably gonna look the same, the same way Jesus looked. The disciples didn't look at him and be like, hey, we don't even recognize you. No, they knew it was Jesus. That we're going to be glorified in this physical body and then be reunited in our eternal life because we know that God is still working and moving. That he, the story is still going. That, that he is bringing out his will on earth. And that's something that we can know and have confidence in approaching. And then at the very end, verse 21, some people kind of look at this and it's like, seems like John was going down this beautiful little road and then all of a sudden just turns. And little children, keep yourselves from idols. And it fits perfectly because idols that we can, and we're not talking about little metal wooden statues that we carve up, even though that was probably the context in this day. But we have idols of sports teams. We have idols of celebrities musicians actors we have idols of our job we have idol anything anything that tries to break fellowship with god is an idol in our life anything that tries to inhibit our relationship with the lord is an idol so if you saw the jesus revolution movie i loved when they were proposing to each other if you haven't seen it you've had time to see it and so i'm not ruining anything okay But at the end, when they are proposing to each other, one of them says, I'm just telling you right now that if you come between me and my relationship with God, we're done. We need to have that approach to everything in our life. And sometimes we don't. We need to look at our jobs that way. We need to look at our spouses that way. Are you advocating for divorce? No. But nothing should be, come between our relationship with the Lord. And if it does, that is the idol that we're allowing into our life. And so don't embrace a false counterfeit God or a false counterfeit idea of who God truly is. Because it's God's will that we would remain, that we would abide in fellowship with Him and with His body. It is God's will for us to meet together, to be in community in unity together, and idolatry destroys this fellowship. See, when each of us keeps Christ at the center of our lives, there's going to be a communion about us, that there's going to be a unity. It's going to be drawing us closer. We use the analogy in marriage. If the husband and the wife, if they both will keep their eyes focused on the Lord, they will grow closer together in the same way is for the body of Christ. And so when you see churches where there's massive division in them, most likely there's an idol somewhere that is causing a break of fellowship in the body because it's causing a break of fellowship with the Lord. And so keep yourself from idols, keep yourself in Jesus. This is what John has wrote all about, is to abide in Christ remain in fellowship with him that your eternal life like just getting saved does not end it's the beginning serve him walk with him trust him walk in confidence with jesus this is the christian life this is what john was writing for us to encourage us abide in jesus in your normal everyday life so Father, we love you. We trust you. And Lord, we ask for strength. We ask for boldness. We ask for courage to simply keep responding to you, your grace, your mercy, your love, your truth with our lives. I pray that we as your body would remain in fellowship with you, would, com- would abide completely. And Lord, if there's anything That is trying to inhibit that take it from us and keep washing our heart and our mind with your word that we know the truth of who you are what you have done for us and that we are secure in you jesus and we thank you we love you we trust you we pray this in the name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen. Uh, small little change. We always have a prayer team after every service. Instead of at the front, we're just gonna throw them in the back over here. So the Cribs would love to pray with you and for you about anything. And uh, so definitely swing by there. Other than that, go love God, love others, impact the world, take your Holy Week cards home, and we'll see you next week.